0: Mama, I got bad news, bad news, I've been rolling with some bad news, bad dudes, I've been trying to
1: get a bag. Hello listeners, bag welcome to, to the Ashes awesome podcast, to Awesome podcast, Rising and Recovery. Our podcast provides light, news. hope and understanding about addictions and mental health to people living within that life and the people who love them. Today's episode is brought to you by Gotcha Treatment Centers in Phuket, Island. They are a clinic run by clinicians, not a business run by businessmen, and they know that where addiction is a smoke. Trauma is the fire. Learn more at YatraCenters.com. That's Y-A-T-R-A-C-E-N-T-R-E.com. Hello, everybody. Watchers, listeners, supporters of all kinds. Welcome to another episode of the Weekend Ramble on the Ashes to Awesome podcast. I'm your host, Chuck Flans checking in from halfway around the world in Krabby, Thailand. With me in virtual studio is my very good friend and co-host, Dr. Lisa, checking in from Calgary. How are you doing today, Lisa?
2: I'm good. I'm really good. Happy to see you. Happy to see Mike again. Absolutely. haven't seen Mike in a while. So Yeah. And and forward our third to
1: panelist today, of course, is Mike Miller, who is the owner at the Yachta Treatment Center here in Krabby, Thailand. And if, as anybody that's been listening or following along knows, I recently completed uh, the residential treatment program there or a third I don't know if completed the program's the right way to say it. I completed a thirty 30- Plus day' stay would turn into a bit more than thirty days, but um at the yatra center, and um I'm so forever grateful and forever changed as a result. so how are you doing today, Mike
3: um I'm good, I'm glad to hear that's pretty, like could you get stronger feedback like in my role, like forever <laughs> changed from someone? I'm grateful, like you know all that stuff it's like um i I remember when I started working in the field of addictions um someone said uh you know, what's the difference between a large pizza and an addiction counselor's salary is you can feed a family of four with a large <laughs> pizza. Like you don't get into this sort of line of work for the money. Um, you know, and I guess there's different levels of all of that and everything, but but really to hear someone say that there's been a positive impact in their life, like that's that's huge. So um, yeah, it makes my night. Other than that, uh, happy to be here. Very happy to see Lisa again and be back.
1: Fuck, you did it already, Mike. Um, here
2: we are a minute in. <laughs> you're
1: crying, you're crying. Listen. That um, might be the
2: quickest. That might that be might, the quickest that might one. Be a
1: record. Holy shit, eh? Right? I win. Um, yeah, you you win. Um, man, I can't even begin to tell you the kind of feedback. I, I can't. I can't. I can't. My life is so changed as a result of my stay at Yatra. And... I can't, I can't begin to thank you enough for, for what I experienced there. Um, And specifically with you in your, in your office and all the staff, the entire situation, the entire experience was just absolutely amazing. You know, from the moment I got there and Stacy said, I I didn't have to stress out about lunch because I don't like spicy food. And everything after that was just absolutely Mm -hmm. amazing. Right. So yeah. (sighs) Go ahead, Lisa. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. I was just going to ask you, Like, you know, obviously, I think that doing therapy is a super incredibly personal thing. So not asking you for those kinds of details, but can you share for listeners who maybe haven't done any therapy or haven't done specific trauma-related therapy who maybe need to? Like, when you say that you're changed, that your life has changed, like, what's different? Like, is it how you feel? Is it your perceptions? Like, what is it?
3: Good question. If
1: the treatment is holistic, and it is, so are the results, right? It's it's how I feel. It's how I think about things. It's the tools that I was given to succeed after the fact. Um, and all of that, again, holistic results, I think is the best way I can say it. Um, because there's just so much happened inside that state. So much happens, right? Little thing, the CBT is actually the one that, like it, it, EMDR therapy, and, and we'll talk about these individual modalities as we move forward. EMDR therapy had a very specific impact on specific parts of my life, um, and arguably the biggest impacts that way. I guess I, maybe using comparative words isn't the right thing to do here. CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. There's one that kind of really blew my mind because you think, I shouldn't say you think, I think for myself and, and maybe other people too, you hear it and you're like, I, I know what that is. But until you actually see the process. It sounds so simple. It does, right? It really does. And then Mike has put his own twist on CBT and what it does for me, like in just in the little things day to day, right? Um, and I'll give you a great example of that. Uh, I kind of joked about it with Mike in a, in a private conversation not long ago. It it feels like racism here sometimes in Thailand. Um, and, and I get, like, sometimes it's like, you know, you're treating me like that because I'm a foreigner. And holy shit, could we talk about that? That's like, not about that specific experience, but about how easily it is to get into that mindset. And how every single time somebody has accused me of racism or accused somebody or something of racism, and maybe you're and I'm not saying that I I agree with that it was racism, but I can sure see how easily it is to let your brain go there. Right. It's like I, I really do empathize for people now and they're like because because I'm living this day-to-day here. But even that, it's like I can CBT that shit. Right? I can I can use CBT and, and I don't know if CBT is a verb, but I just kind of made it one, didn't I? Right. So like I, I can CBT that shit and go no that's 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 mind reading there's all, there's all sorts of things that, that fall into that and and you know it, it's just been amazing to me yeah
2: the yeah. nice thing about making it a verb is that like with all therapy if you don't practice it it's not going to work so wow. it should be a verb
3: okay <laughs> yeah. we so we use the verb abc because that's mm. the actual tool of this cbt set of you know there's a there's more than one tool but that's the tool that we sort of use because Mm -hmm. it's something that we can give to people that they can then leave and practice themselves much like a lot of the other practices that they come with it's like no you do it with us at first and then you can take it and keep doing it on your own um so yeah we've we've used it as a verb for a while and i'll 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 say to people like you know have you abc'd that have you abc'd that um and i think you know when you say chuck like um People think that they understand it and it sounds like Lisa says, it sounds so simple, but people are absolutely, for the most part, awa- unaware of their own biases and their um, cognitive distortions that are just permeating everything. And, and you know, there's reasons why we have them, you know, like our experiences lead to core beliefs that we have about ourselves and other people in the world. And that informs how that self-talk goes. But if we never question it and we just believe it, then we're left with the same stuff all the time. Um mm-hmm. You know, I always say to people, like, my brain gossips to me about me. And in spite of the evidence that that's not true, I just believe it. But if someone else came to me and said, oh, hey, did you know this about Chuck? I'd be like, really? Is that really true? Like, I would question it more coming from someone else about someone else, but I don't question it from me. And so when I start questioning it, and like, is that really true? Mm -hmm then I get to sort of like take down the level of whatever the emotional response is.
2: And I think that. people don't question their own because it's there. It's always there. And so you don't even notice it because it's always there. Right. Cause I find that in therapy, one of the most common things that I do is interrupt people and which, you know, sounds terrible. I'm not bad. I promise. Oh. But it's like, I'll be like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. Like rewind. Like what, what did you just say? Like, can you say that again? And it's only when I stop them and say, "Go back a second and ask them to re-say what they just said, that they're like, "Whoa!" Like they don't even realize it. They don't see their distortions because they're so ingrained, and they've been there maybe forever, or they've slowly evolved to what they are today, that they don't even know it's there.
3: What you're you saying, yeah, you I have. Is, it? Yeah, it's not my saying, but I adopted it yeah. for this.
1: Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. There's a bit of
0: a delay. No, so it's, uh, it's, it's an You answer. know,
3: we say um, yeah, um, a fish doesn't know it's out of water or it doesn't know it's in water until it's in the water, right? So it's like, it's just the, the water we swim in is all those cognitive distortions. Um, yeah, and they have been there probably forever. And so when you actually can shine a light on it, it can be pretty mm-hmm. jarring. It, you know, if people are doing it. And I, I think interrupting people is okay. And sometimes I just ask them flat out, is that true? Yeah. But like what you just said, is that actually true? Is there evidence yeah. of that? Can you tell me
1: that? Yeah. but um, I, I can but tell even you the first right, tam, Mike, he's made for some, some uncomfortable some, point... Point... some uncomfortable situations actually. <laughs> <laughs> by doing that. <laughs> um, Lisa, but totally. before you that means he's you, doing a good job. <laughs> before you jump down, I've got I do have something I want to speak to about what's what's happening right now in this conversation. Mm-hmm. You've done it unwittingly, Lisa. Mm-hmm. Um, is you've kind of Segue into the third major modality that gets used in Mike's office at the center. There's all sorts of shit going on, but in Mike's office and correct me if I'm wrong, you've kind of got the three big ones. Yeah. EMDR, which again, we've, we've talked about, I've talked about quite a bit. I think um, we, we can talk more about that too. CBT, which of course we just talked about. And the third being the internal family systems, CIFS the IFS therapy. Why is that always there? Where does that come from? Mike, if, if you can, Again, we talked about this beforehand. I tend to bastardize things because I'm not that educated on them, is, is you know, uh, past my anecdotal experience. So, why do you talk about so, IFS for a minute?
3: So, why is it always there? The IFS, yeah,
1: yeah, what, like where does it come from? Like, what, what how does IFS play into this conversation and as such into your formula? I guess,
3: okay. Well, I mean, I think it like when it comes to sort of like my formula, and I do that with sort of air quotes because like I'm not. I'm not Bessel van der Kolk. I'm not like, I don't run a research center. I'm not, you know, um, doing peer reviewed studies of things, but they're all done already. So what I do is I take the things from people that are proven to work, evidence-based therapies, and I've put them together in an order of operations that we think will be useful. And the reason we didn't do CBT on day one with you is because if we're in a survival um mode like if we're in fight flight freeze that kind of stuff if if our amygdala is kicking off it's it's not my prefrontal cortex that I'm coming from I, like I can't make the best decisions if I'm in a survival mode so doing CBT when someone doesn't necessarily have access to the part of their brain that does logic and reasoning and stuff it isn't the best order of operations right so i i've worked at other places where it's like CBT on day 1 and then you get people who struggle with it and it's like well what if they were just like what if you started with the EMDR and you desensitize some of the triggers and at the same time you did some of the body based sort of somatic stuff like the yoga and the Tai Chi and, um, you know, the the mindfulness, the meditation, the sound bowls, all that. And then they can be relaxed in their body. They're not in the fight or flight stuff anymore. They get access. Their, their, their logic centers come back online and then they can use the CBT. So, you know, we use um, bottom up therapies and top-down therapies. so the, the cbt would be top-down how i use my brain to kind of change how i'm feeling in my body if my brain is if my body's not relaxed because of the, the brain i'm probably not going to be able to access that too well so we start with the sort of bottom-up stuff and emdr can be bottom-up because it, it can calm down the amygdala from that fight-or-flight stuff by lessening triggers desensitizing um traumatic memories or, or you know, sometimes trauma, word freaks people out, but, um, adverse experiences that people have had. And the IFS is a bit of both and and EMDR is a bit of both too, because it changes your perception of, of events. But, um, the internal family systems is there because it's an evidence-based therapy and because it resonates with a lot of the people that come to see us. And so, um, Dick Schwartz was a family systems therapist. Um. And, you know, so he would work and, you know, figure out, you know, what's, what's the birth order, who's the scapegoat, like, you know, sort of the the family system stuff. And then he, he would have people coming in all the time. And um, they would say, like, you know, like, a a part of me really doesn't like this when my mom does that, or, you know, part of me does this. And he just started getting curious, because he was hearing it all the time. And he thought, well, what part of you, what part of you doesn't like that, and people would have answers for them like you know a part of you know if we're talking about addiction stuff right a part of me just loved getting high and a part of me knew that wasn't how i was supposed to be and both of those parts of me are real and you know if i said hey lisa do you want to go to the movies tonight part of me does part of me doesn't like as soon as i started learning about internal family systems and the parts work stuff i watch tv i watch movies it's littered through everything people use this in their language all the time and I think so. That's if you started it making it part of your awareness,
1: I mean, you you would be using that language literally every day and not realizing. It. Like, I I, you know, like yeah. I, I, I don't think yeah. anybody. I think someone like yeah. yourself, even me, kind of now when I like, I think about it, when I say a part of me, but I still say it, right? So yeah. somebody that's who's not aware yeah. of any of this, well, so do I, literally every day, literally every day, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. good to yeah. You, though, People
3: Mike. say, it, and especially when you're in that. Um, no, it's okay. like when you're in that ambivalent kind of like I want to use, but I don't want to use like people use it that like, Oh, a part of me knows this is wrong. A part of me really just needs to get me escape right now. And so um, with, with addiction, it can really resonate with people and with trauma Um, because, okay. So, so Dick Schwartz kind of gets curious, like what parts of you, and he starts um, sort of exploring that stuff and he comes up with a model. So he's a family systems therapist and he goes, well, like we have an internal family of different parts of ourselves and they're at different ages and they have different roles. <clears throat> so there's other things. There's like ego states therapy, um, you know, that doesn't give them the same rules that internal family systems does, but an internal family systems basically says you have, there's like four sort of uh, parts of self. And the, the first part is called self. And that's like our higher self, our best self. And he's got like these, Crazy little, like, they're not really acronyms, but he's got what he calls the eight C's. So, like, confidence, clarity, curiosity, connectedness, compassion, et cetera, et cetera. If I'm coming from that place, that's myself. Like, that's 53-year-old Mike, the therapist, being his best self when I'm coming from that place. So, if I'm coming from any other place, that's a part of me. So, instead of saying, I'm angry, I say, a part of me is angry. Because it can't be me if it doesn't have those sort of like best qualities, right? So it's like, okay, well, what part of you is angry? And so their self is one sort of like component, I guess we'd call it. And then he breaks the parts into um, basically three.
1: Yeah, I was taking a break to do a quick message here. So as as most of you or some of you would know, I shouldn't uh, presume to assume, as they say, um, uh, know that I'm in Thailand. Uh the backstory of that for those of you that aren't in the know, I was invited out here for a 30 day stay at the Yatra Treatment Center, which um I guess the first part of this little commercial break is going to be about them. Uh the Yatra Center you can be found at yatracenter.com, that's C-E-N-T-R-E.com. And they are absolutely incredible. They are the only center of their kind in the world. They treat trauma exclusively and all kinds of trauma. When I was there, I was the only person there um, that had suffered an addiction. Or at least that was the only reason that the, I was the only person whose reason for being there was, was the traumas that I thought the reason I was there was the traumas that I suffered in addiction. In reality, they unpacked so much more than that, um, so much more than that. And I've, I've got to say it was absolutely life-changing. Um, EMDR therapy, IFS therapy, CBT therapy, Google these guys, as a commercial, so I'm not going to try and explain them all. Tai Chi, yoga, mindfulness, meditation, ice baths everything you can imagine. And like I said, they're the only kind, one of their kind in the world. Uh, You might be surprised at how cost-effective it is relative to traditional treatment options in the U.S. So if you're stable in your recovery or you have trauma that uh, you would like to address and and begin to heal from, um, what a fantastic place. Or or just to to continue healing from. They've uh, not only helped me during my 30-day stay... But past that, they give me a lot of tools to take with me and to continue that healing process. So check them out, guys. Uh, the last part of this little this little uh, break here. Um, like I said, I am in Thailand. Um, my family, when they helped me get here, it was on a one way ticket. Um, I don't have a ticket home. I don't plan on going home. And the reason for that is here, the cost of living is so much less that I can actually afford to do what I love doing, and that is to spread the message. I'm looking for some help posts. Big help um, getting my education visa. My education visa that'll do a couple big things for me. Um, it will put me in a place where I can get my Thai language course. It's a, it's a year long course, 48 weeks, two hours a day, five days a week. So it's no joke. Um, being in a country where you don't know the language is, is a challenge to say the least. And, uh, for my for me to be able to immerse myself here and to live comfortably, um, that's going to be a big help. The other thing that does is it makes me not have to do these, what they call border runs every month, um, which are expensive and time consuming. And um, you, you have to go to an international board, turn around and come back. And you can only do that for so long anyway. Um, so if I get the education visa, it takes care of my first year here in Thailand. And it would be such a massive help. So if you can help, I would sincerely appreciate it. I am nowhere close to the $1,800 it's going to take me to do that. Um, you can help. See the uh, the, the addresses down below here. My PayPal or for e-transfer if you're in Canada is uh, Chris Horder, H-O-R-D-E-R, 77 at hotmail.org Sorry. Chris Horder 77 at gmail.com that's uh c-h-r-i-s-h-o-r-d-e-r-7-7 at gmail.com and my gofundme you can find at the website at uh, a2apodcast.com slash gofundme and um yeah again guys five bucks 25 bucks, 100 bucks, you can change my life. It goes a really long way here. And um, I just really like to keep doing what I love and that's to help keep
0: spreading the message. So thank you very much. And I will let you get back to the show.
3: So there's exile parts. So when something happens that is so um, traumatic and hard to take, the theory is that my psyche um, breaks off a little part and sends it off into the corner of the psyche with, to carry that pain. So, um, you know, if I grew up um, with a very abusive, like physically abusive adult, um, to know that I'm never safe might be too much, right? Too much for me to be able to carry on on day by day. So a part of me takes that knowledge and that pain after being abused and and it goes over here um, and carries that pain for me so that I can continue on on a daily basis. Um, Now that part is going to be at big risk of being triggered by anything that looks like violence or abuse or whatever, like whatever might mimic that sort of traumatic event. Um, So then there's protector parts. And the protector parts come in two different kinds. So one is called manager parts. And so the managers are sort of proactive and they sort of try to arrange things in your life so that that exiled part with the pain won't get triggered. So if I've been abused, phys- say physically abused when I'm really young and now I'm an adult, um, I don't want that exiled part to get triggered because it'll be too much for me, etc. So, and I'm not, this isn't a cognitive sort of process i'm going through this is just parts of me stepping up and doing the work um so i would have a part of me that will find every way to keep me out of confrontational situations um oh you know i get invited to you should come down to uh you know see this punk rock show down on you know the downtown east side of vancouver and it's like uh That can be really triggering for me. There might be violence down there. There might be just a sense of danger. So, oh, you know, I got to work late. I can't make it. I can't, oh, you know, my wife wouldn't let me in or whatever reason I might come up with. That's not Mike who's confident and clarity and compassion. That's like fear, right? So that's a part of me. And that's a manager part that's proactively trying to keep that exiled part from getting triggered by finding ways out of the situation, if that makes sense. Yeah. Then the other sort of protector part is they call the firefighter part. Because that exile part is going to get triggered at some point, like it's just going to. like I can't avoid confrontation my whole life, and I'm going to get that like, and my nervous system's going to get jacked up, and the firefighter part will then try to distract from the pain of the exile through certain things um, that can be like drinking, using drugs sex, gambling, internet, you know, et cetera, et cetera, food, all the sort of like classic addiction, sort of process addiction behaviors or substance use behaviors, um, anger, rage, that kind of stuff. Now, the manager part um, doesn't want that exile part to get triggered because it's going to make you look bad. It really wants you to sort of adhere to social norms and make you look good and all that kind of stuff. But the man, uh, the firefighter part does all these things that will actually make you kind of look bad, right? So they're both trying to protect you, but they have different ideas about how to do it. And so sometimes different parts of ourselves can be at odds with each other. Um, you know, so I, you know, there's, a, there's a video um, and I, you know, Chuck, you can link it maybe at the bottom. It's a, a guy, yeah, um, yeah. Derek Scott, and he, he talks about this stuff. Um, and He says, uh, you know, the next morning, like, if if you get triggered and you get drunk and all that kind of stuff, the next morning, like, your manager part's like, oh, why did we do that? You made us look stupid. And the firefighter part's like, actually, I don't really know why I did that, you know. But what it's doing is it's directing the attention away from the exile that's in pain, right? So there's all this, like, interaction. And then what we do is we figure out just like you do in group therapy or family therapy is like, what are the relationships between all the people in the room or all, all the parts itself? Right. So like,
1: okay. and, and uh, people I'll identify have to them as being sorry, different Sorry ages. about that, Mike. That was me okay. messaging yep. you to send me the Derek Scott video. So turn oh. your phone on silent.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> right. so, yeah. so
1: I don't forget to do it later. <laughs>
3: yeah. Sorry. Perfect. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
2: That's interesting. Like, I mean, Mike, you know, we, we spoke about this when you were in Canmore and Chuck and I came out to see you and... I I just remember like my, my mind just like going off, exploding, hearing about this. Mm. And like, you know, obviously as a psychiatrist, like one of the things that I do, and I don't do this as much with my inpatients because the sort of unit that I work on, like the, my inpatients tend to be like acutely psychotic, manic, depressed, you know, and, and so I don't, I I usually don't get into exploring a lot of personality stuff on the inpatient unit because to me, when someone comes in and they're psychotic, I'm not gonna talk about your personality, right? But in the day hospital setting that I work in, which is this like four-week intensive outpatient therapy program where people sleep at home, but they come in Monday to Friday from nine to three and they do therapy every day. Um, And they've got, you know, an assigned case manager slash therapist. They have an assigned psychiatrist. They do group therapy, individual therapy. Um, We do work a lot and explore a lot on the personality stuff. And like so much of what you're saying is just like this different angle or there's different perspective. Like as you were describing that, like I was thinking, okay, like avoidant personality, dependent personality, borderline personality. And a lot of times you see those things, right? And you take, for example, somebody who has borderline personality. And so they they don't trust people. So they push people away. They avoid people. But another element of a borderline personality is that they're impulsive and they're promiscuous. And so they're in a way, they avoid people, um, but then they're terrified of people abandoning them and they go out and they sleep with lots of people to try to fill a bucket. And like, it's just like all of that is kind of.
3: Yeah. So so, you know, um, we, we would say I, IFS people. And so I'm not an IFS therapist. I'm what's called an IFS informed therapist because I've done some training with Dick Schwartz and, and um, Frank Anderson, some other people. But I haven't done the IFS uh like their certification so like they 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 say we can call ourselves ifs informed um but what we would say is that you know the borderline like it's it's dissociative stuff right and so like Mm -hmm. these are dissociative parts of self dissociated parts it's like not it's like out here out here part of me is really yearning for connection and so i jump into relationships. And part of me is so afraid of getting abandoned that I like latch onto people really, really quick. And part of me um, gets, the exile gets triggered when someone looks like they're going to abandon me. So part of me lashes out in crazy, crazy anger. And it's like, well, that could look Mm -hmm. like borderline, or it could look like all these different parts of myself doing their best to kind of protect me from the pain of that exile that, you know, I've, I'm not a psychiatrist, so I don't want to say that borderline isn't a diagnosis that exists. But I would think most people I've met that have a diagnosis of borderline have trauma histories, right, and have abandonment totally. issues totally. and attachment wounds. Um, so you know, it's like yeah. all part and parcel of, of sort of the same stuff. I think, mm-hmm. um, yeah. It's, and so it's interesting when I when I learned about it, it was in the uh, I think it was like the second part of the EMDR training when they started talking about parts work, dissociative parts. Um, and again, they have some different wording for it. And I, w- I just immediately started resonating. It started resonating with me. And I was like, they started talking about parts in different ages. And I was like, immediately knew i was like there's a six-year-old part of me and i don't know why i knew it was six i just did it's like anytime like that confrontation is going to go down and i'm like oh i just want to get out of here and go like hide in my mom's basement like that's a very childlike thing for a 53 year old man to be doing and then if i ever feel like there's any kind of injustice going on or someone's going to try to take advantage there's a part of me that steps up that's like f you and it's like it feels very teenager-ish. So I, I, somehow I was like, there's a six-year-old part of me and a 15-year-old part of me. And like what we want is we want 53-year-old Mike leading the system. But I don't want to get rid of either of those parts because they've been crucial to my survival along the way. And what I want to do is integrate them. I want to unburden the exiled parts of the traumas. And that's where we use some of the EMDR stuff. IFS therapists that just strictly do IFS. They would do unburdening with that process, but I'm an EMDR guy, so I use that. Um, And then, you know, we we have a saying, there's no bad parts. And so I had a a client who lived overseas, and we were seeing each other online, and um, he was, like, actively suicidal. You know, he was like, there's – and he was – we had done a bunch of IFS work, and he's like – There's a part of me that's constantly telling myself to just off myself. And that was his sort of language. And he said, but you always tell me there's no bad parts. How is that possible that there's no bad parts, but this part's telling me to kill myself? And I said, well, what is that part hoping to achieve through that behavior? Like, what is its role? Like, why why is it there? And he's like, well, it just wants the pain to end, like forever. And I said, well, that sounds like a pretty important job. And that sounds like, you know, we just want to change the job description. Good intention, not the best application, perhaps, right? We don't want to do that, but it's got a really well-intentioned part. At some point, it learned a behavior that probably was useful, and now it's not that useful anymore. So, like, can we shift that? Just like a part of me that wants to use drugs. Like, you know, if if it gets stressed, it's like, oh, I can't go to the heroin anymore, Right. That part of me is still like, "Uh, so what do I do? Like next thing you know, I find myself like elbow deep in a bag of salt and vinegar chips or something.
1: Now for a quick public service announcement. One of the best ways to reduce stigma is with education. If you still have questions that we haven't answered on today's show, you can learn more about Together We Can's education group at org. Hey everyone, this is Ryan Bathgate from Clydescope
4: Wednesdays. I wanted to bring a public service announcement to you today about Narcan, or also known as Naloxone. These kits uh, have saved so many lives over the years, uh, I can attest for that, uh, being in the industry for so long, I can tell you since we've had the opioid crisis declared in 2016, it has saved thousands of lives, and I've watched it personally save hundreds of lives. These kits are small, easy to use. Uh, you can keep them in your glove box or uh, or in a cupboard in your home and you never know when somebody's going to need them. Uh, if you have a hard time finding a Narcan kit in your area, just email us here at ashes Awesome Podcast at gmail.com, throw Narcan in the subject line, tell us where you are, and we'll do the legwork to find that for you. If you wanted to send me a question for my kaleidoscope Wednesdays again email ashes to awesome podcast at gmail.com we will read that question on air and I'll do my best to answer it in a comprehensive way all right, that's all I have for now I will go back to the show thanks for listening
3: you know it's like that part of me is still trying to like bring me some some ease and comfort um, but I've changed the job job description a little bit
2: I think what I love about this, um, like, I feel like this is something I need to, like, read about and, like, mm. learn about because I love it. I loved it when we talked about it in Canmore. I love it now. Is it's so validating? because that's a huge struggle for patients, right? And like, I'll often preface personality discussions with patients that look, in psychiatry, we have 10. It's clearly this very simplified version. We all have a personality. We all have traits of many personalities, but it's a way for us to try to capture it. And it's a way for us to speak to one another. Like if I'm Mm -hmm. inheriting a patient from somebody and they say, look, they have a personality construct that sort of falls in these categories. I go in going, okay, I kind of know what what I'm working with hmm. but I feel like you know again stigma is stigma and some personality types have huge stigma borderline personality disorder is one of the most stigmatized um, diagnoses you get in medicine mental health think, or otherwise
3: I think it's in my experience like one of if not the yeah. most notorious for being really hard treatment resistant you know all that stuff like yeah and it's and, and i
2: I find that depending on how it's presented, I have patients who completely reject it because of the stigma, the stigma that exists. And then I have other patients who sometimes, and I think it's in how you present it, where when you can say, here's a thing, read about this, see if you identify with it. They're like, oh my gosh, there's a reason for all of this. Somebody understands this and they feel validated. But what I hear is you're talking about this is again, just that incredible validation that there's a reason for all of these parts. There's a reason, Mm -hmm. you know, why these different things surface. Um, And, you know, I'll often use the language that there was a time when this served you. And then what often happens is it becomes habitual and it becomes, it, it continues on when it is no longer serving you and then it's problematic. But the the wording of the parts of you and validating that, like you said, even the suicidal part of you, well, what's it trying to do? It's trying to stop the pain. It's trying to give you an outlet from the pain. I mean, how validating is that for people who, and.
3: It sounds weird because people that are suicidal come across as quite hopeless, but it gives you hope Mm. that the pain can end. So it's like a source of hope in some ways. Right. Which sounds so counterintuitive, Mm. but anyway, sorry, I interrupted you.
2: No, 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 but it's just, yeah, like, I I think that's all I'm wanting to say anyway, but just, I just hear so much validation in the IFS model, that really, it's kind of like, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I could say somebody has borderline personality disorder, or I could describe it through an IFS model, and which of those is going to be more validating and shifting for a patient,
3: yeah. Well and that's the thing is because IFS when Yeah. When when we you know pathologize people, like you're sick, it's located in you, like that kind of stuff. Here's your diagnosis. People can like become the diagnosis or reject the diagnosis or whatever it is. Um or if we say like there's a part of you that has this behavior that used to work and it doesn't, but you could change that. Like to yeah. me that sounds like a bit less um Yeah of a weight of the world kind of on your shoulders, right? Especially if it's a diagnosis that's notorious for, you know, helpers having difficulty helping, right? And so with one of the things that IFS therapists are supposed to do is you bring your self energy to the session with, so you're always creative, compassionate, curious. Like that's how Dick Schwartz started this thing. He was like, Oh, I wonder what that's about with the parts. Right. And so that's what we're Mm. supposed to sort of do. And then how you help to heal your own, parts is you bring your self energy to your own parts so lots of people go like uh you know i'll ask them like how do you feel about that part of you that that just wants to you know smoke crack or whatever it is right i hate that part i wish it would go away and it's like then we start having a conversation and something will come into the conversation i'll go oh so so you're saying it did actually work for a bit yeah like oh how do you feel about it now? Or, you know, like we want to get to a place where they feel that compassion for that part of them. It's like, you know, or, oh, there's a young part of me that has a lot of pain. And if you can get them to have the compassion for that part, it's funny how those parts sort of like loosen up. And one of the questions, so then there's like, after the eight C's, this is sort of the therapy model. Now that talks about the six F. So it's like, you find it like, oh, where, where do you notice that part in or around your body? Like, And then you flesh it out and it's like, does, what does it look like? What does it sound like? And, you know, you sort of like, I had a a client um, who was um, I was seeing for EMDR and doing some parts work with some IFS work. And uh, he was a gay man and he identified three parts and he saw them so vividly and they were all female. And he had like it right down to their sort of like, way of being like their personalities is like this one's really sassy and he had like their fashion sense down and everything like i don't experience my parts like that i kind of visualize my parts as like younger me like because there's a picture on my grandmother's wall when i was about four or five and it's like that's kind of how i see the young part of me i know what i looked like at 15 i was a little punk rock skateboard kid so i see what that looks like um you know, but other people experience them differently. Um, I've had people that have parts that are animals or parts like with addiction. They go like, oh, it's just this dark cloud part of me. Like people can view it any way they want, right? Um, however they identify with it. So we flesh it out and then we befriend it, right? Mm-hmm. And we like, what's it afraid will happen if it's not doing that job anymore? Mm-hmm. And figure out like, wh- what's it afraid of? So that's one of the Fs. Um, and what would it rather be doing? if it didn't have to do that anymore. And what I get back a lot, because these parts tend to be like younger a lot of the time, because that's when they sort of like came to be. Um, They'd rather be playing, swimming in the ocean. Like, you know, there's a lot of sort of like childlike things that these parts would rather be doing, but they feel it's their responsibility to keep the system safe, the personality system safe Mm -hmm. by doing this one job over and over. And Dick Schwartz would probably hate it if I said this, but parts kind of become like a one trick pony. Like my part that, like, like doing the drugs, it was like, oh, uh, that worked from the first time I did it. I'm going to do that anytime anything is uncomfortable from now till forever, all the time. (laughs) Like, that was just what it wanted to do. Right. Um, And I was like, great. That really worked. You helped me get through my teenage years a a lot. Right. But, you know.
2: And also, I I like how. With the part stuff, it reminds me of something that I had learned when I did, as a resident, I did family therapy for a year, Mm. and um, the family therapy center I worked at, it was always focused on the child, like there needed to be a struggle for the child, and then they would work with the child, but the family involved, obviously. Um, And one of the things we we talked about doing was externalizing negative Mm. emotions for a child, right? So like I worked with this little boy, he was like eight years old, right? But he would get really angry and he'd get angry and he'd get violent and he'd throw things and he'd, and what happens though, is that there's negative consequence to that. And then a kid starts to identify that I'm bad. Right. So what we did was we tried to separate that out. So we talked about, you know, he, same thing. He actually drew me a picture of anger. He named his anger and we would talk about anger as this external thing that would come in and almost sort of take him over at times. Um, But it, you know, he didn't recognize we're doing this, but the part of the goal was trying to separate that you're not bad. But there are times when you have these, angry feelings. And the result sometimes is that you might do things that are not nice, you know, but with the parts, again, you're separating out, like you described early on, that there's the self, which is your true self. And then these parts are external to that. Right, yeah. and I think a lot of times, like in addiction, again, people identify as, and that's why I don't like the term addict. You know, I'm an addict, and I'm bad, yeah. and I do bad things.
0: Yeah. And
2: it's like there's a big difference there. Like to, yeah. again, to me, you are a human being. You have a true self, and then this is a this is this part of you um, that comes with a lot of negative yeah. consequences. But I like that it separates it out. Yeah. You
3: know, and it's a protector. Like, that's the thing. The only time I need protectors is when there's some, something at, at risk, right? Like, I, like, I don't need to be just like right now today. I'm not burning down my life with drugs because like those exiled parts of me have been unburdened of a lot of their stuff and I don't get triggered to the, like, I mean, emotionally triggered like I used to to the point where I need that to survive. So, like, those protectors don't need to mobilize, but I have them doing other things in different ways. So, you know, it's, it's, um, yeah, there are no bad parts, and actually, Dick Schwartz's book is called "No Bad Parts." Um, but there's a, one, read that. there's a there's a ton of stuff on YouTube. It's so good. I, I'll send you some books.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it also makes me. We probably want to talk about other things, but I want to say one other thing before we go on, is that you know, talking about sort of pathologizing, right? And hmm. and sadly, you know, in medicine in general, right, we're all diagnosis driven. Right. It's like, what's the diagnosis? And I mean, even from from medical school, like you get put on the spot by your preceptors, like what's your differential diagnosis? Like what's wrong here? Um, And it makes me think about this one patient that I actually am working with currently um, who has a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. But one of the things that I am picking up on is factitious disorder. Right, So factitious disorder is when, and it's subconscious, they're not aware they're doing it, but they fabricate illnesses. And the driver is they want to be in the sick role, right? It's feeding their sick role. So it's not like they're not looking for a house or they're not looking for an income. The primary driver is to be sick. And they want to be sick because they want to be taken care of. And again, like I'm going...
3: Sorry, did I always get curious about like? Oh, I wonder what their parents did for a living. I always think there's like, is there a medical practitioner in the family that didn't have time, but then took care? And that might not be the case with this person, but I've experienced often that often. It is.
2: Yeah, Yeah. or, or it's, you know, maybe what the parents did, but largely that they weren't getting attention. And what happened is as a child, they truly got sick at some point. And suddenly the parents found the time and gave the attention. And so it worked for them. But, you know, I have this person right now who literally, um, you know, if I sit there and say, you know, tell me all about your psychiatric diagnoses and your medical diagnoses, it's like a list 25 items. Long and a lot of these, particularly physical ailments that they report, have been searched up by urologists and neurologists. And, and it's like they can't find any proof that there's anything organically wrong with this person. Um, yet they're 20 something years old in a wheelchair claiming that they, you know, that they can't walk. And again, like, I wonder, you know, the reason it's coming up is that if we were to explore all the parts of this person, instead of giving diagnoses, would we actually in this particular case have avoided what I think is a factitious disorder? Because if we don't say, look, you need to be sick and have a diagnosis to get help, but rather we focus on these different parts and why these parts are present, would this person be sitting in a wheelchair in front of me right now? You
3: know, and would you find out that it's a part of them that, that does do that the the study where where ifs um where the evidence comes from the the first study where it's like reviewed evidence-based was from a chronic pain study it wasn't Mm -hmm. from like a mental health disorder it wasn't from addiction it wasn't from that it was from chronic pain and so they got better results with ifs as than treatment as usual right so i don't remember the exact crazy uh, numbers right now but yeah um it's I, I think that that's a, a really interesting proposition like if if we mm-hmm. had done this because if you look at it like when you go to a doctor and you get the you know what's your diagnosis and all that and and doctors don't get i mean psychiatrists especially not overly resourced like time is extremely limited and it's very hard to get access and overworked and under-resourced and all of that stuff um so to just get in the door is hard and then to sit down and be like tell me your life story is not going to happen most of the time, right? For most people. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get like, what are the symptoms? Tick, 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 you know, get the DSM out. Here's your diagnosis. Here's your prescribed treatment of whatever that is. Um, but, you know, Vincent Felitti, who did the ACE study in the in the late 80s or in the 80s, like drew a direct line from childhood trauma to poor health outcomes as adults and said the very first thing every doctor should be asking you when you go in is these 10 questions of the ACE questionnaire to figure out why is this happening? Not what's happening, but why is it happening? Now, again, I know that doctors don't always have the time for that, which is again, just Mm -hmm. a terrible part of the fact that we're not prioritizing that stuff. And uh, you know, it's more Mm -hmm. about efficiencies than effectiveness. Sometimes I think, um, People have limited resources and do the best they can with what they have. But (laughs) if you are actually doing that, then you might have like, those conversations about parts, so you don't end up with a twenty-something-year-old in a wheelchair because you know it's trauma-driven stuff, and you could resolve mm-hmm. some of that, et cetera, et cetera. And now, people listening to this are like, "What is he talking about with the A study?" But we've talked about it yeah. before. I, I was, <laughs> yeah. I
1: was just about to say, "Hey, let's let's talk about the A study." I don't remember what my score was on that, Mike. If you do remember, feel free to say it out loud. I'm, I'm giving you permission publicly here, but um, I, I don't remember what it was at oh. all. Yeah. But I just want
3: to know. name this. I just want to name this, that this is quite a strange sort of setup for me to be sitting and doing a podcast with someone <laughs> who's had treatment with us. Right. Right. Um, right. Because normally yeah. <laughs> speaking, um, you know, everything's confidential and I, I won't even acknowledge if someone has ever been a client or not, because I don't have consent to do so, et cetera. And mm-hmm. you know, I see Lisa nodding because sure, of course she gets that. So we're being, of course. you know, right. moderately open with your experience as you, and, you know, just to kind of name yeah. that, You've posted so much stuff of yeah. Yatra during your stay at Yatra, and we have yeah. never accepted it on our, like, you know, it always says, review this for your timeline. We never accept it because we're yeah. not there to um, make, to benefit ourselves from your treatment. So the whole way through, we've been like, okay, well, post your stuff because that's what you do, but we're not going to use it to benefit us. And, and, um, so we've been pretty boundary that I'll just to to, that. in order to You'll... protect-
1: I'll speak to that real quickly and in some of the posts even recently. Um, I felt it was important at one point to say, yes, Yatra is a sponsor of the show. They're the title sponsor of this episode, Yatra, and, and, and I'm very, very grateful for that. However, anything that I have done on social media is because I want to and because I feel, and, and I'll say this, because I feel that so many people could benefit from what I've experienced. So it's outside of the purview of our sponsorship. It's not, it's definitely not part of the deal. And I, I honestly, to the bottom, from the bottom of my heart, wish that so many more people could experience it. I just do. Right. I, people that reach out to me, I had a friend reach out to me. We'll get a bit off topic here. Who I didn't realize back in 2009, just before I had left Calgary had been raped and left in a ditch with a broken back, naked. And she reaches out to me because of this trauma stuff that that I've been talking about on, on online. And you're just like, I just want everybody to be able to experience this. I want everybody to have some fucking freedom from that. Right? So, yeah, that's why I do that. Sorry. Fucking twice already. Okay. No, I... <laughs>
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, I
2: appreciate. I I was just going to say, like, you know, I um, as someone who, you know, was not at Yatra and someone who does not work for Yatra, um, you know, I know. Just to reiterate, like, you know, I know what Chuck is saying is very true. I know that he's sharing from his own heart because of his own he it's his own motive and desire to share it you know it has nothing to do with um with yatra but i do like commend you i don't know what the right word is but like i think it's an incredible gift that you've given to be vulnerable and to share because i totally get that You know, the majority of people who do therapy, they are not open. Sometimes they're not even open with their own families, never mind the whole damn world, right? Um, But I think that people being open the way that you have gives others insight into what is achievable. And I think it, you know, not everybody can necessarily go to Yatra. Not everybody has access to therapy of any kind. But I think it does give people hope that, you know, that they can feel better or they can find peace or that there is help available. Um, so I, yeah, I think it's awesome that you've shared.
3: Yeah, I agree. And I think it's, um, inspirational for people. And I, I also think it flies in the face of that whole, like, men don't talk about their feelings and don't show their feelings and all that sort of stuff, um, to have, you know, a a man talk about his experience and show his emotions during it and be okay with it. Um, you know, to me, that's, that's a big thing. And I think it kind of dispels some of the myths of therapy that it's like scary. Um, don't get me wrong. Like it can be scary because we don't understand what we're getting into. I know it was like that for me the first time I went to therapy, I was like, Oh my God, what am I getting into now? Um, and, and really it's not, uh, it doesn't have to be like that in particular, um, you know, some of the stuff that we're using is, is pretty gentle. So, but yeah, I'm mm-hmm. happy to, happy to witness so, the way that with you that share said, your experience with, for sure. With
1: that said, and we, we do, we got, we got to get back to the, um, to the topic in hand. When I say I give you permission to say, what is my score? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, no, no. I I'm mm-hmm. putting all of that out. Um, with with an end goal in mind, is, and that is to to kind of you know destigmatize and to, and to maybe help inspire some people. So yeah. um, um, and and I, thank you for I don't for remember the number.
3: Too.
1: Yeah, I don't. I remember either. It wasn't that. I don't high. remember well, like, the
3: number. Yeah, yeah um, it wasn't nothing. Yeah. I know that. Um, but it wasn't um the <laughs> highest. Of, uh, I've had people get like nine and ten out of ten. You know. Um, yeah. I remember yeah. thinking that seven. yours might have been a little higher than it was initially. Six or um, seven. It was a but, six or
1: seven is what it was yeah, yeah and there. yeah
3: yeah. You know, I mean the whole the whole way that like you ended up at Yatra was that I came on here as a guest we start we talked about trauma because that's kind of what I do and while we were doing the talk before and after it was like you know you had identified and I had kind of identified like you you might have some stuff that you can work on and then I kind of just obvious, it, like, eh? because I'm in the same place as you it's like I, I equate me having Yatra to, like, the guy in your friend group who has a pickup truck when people need to move. It's like, <laughs> I've got the truck. I'll help you move. You know what I mean? I'm like, I have this resource. And so I said to you kind of, like, off the cuff, like, oh, yeah, I'll, you know, come. I'll I'll, I'll give you a scholarship. You can come in, blah, blah, blah. Check it out. Um, and And then, like... It was like months later and I had kind of like, you know, whatever. It was an offer and it was a legit offer, but I kind of put it out of my mind because I had other stuff going on, obviously. And then you said, yeah, I think I might be able to make that work. And I was like, oh shit, here we go. Um, (laughs) And so it wasn't like with any, um, any intended outcome other than getting you some relief from some of the stuff that I was witnessing when we were first talking, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and Mm -hmm. and I think that I've, I've seen you do that and the way that you, carry yourself has been uh you know you, you've changed sort of your outlook on things and, and the way that you are and it's cool to see and you know yeah i'm glad yeah. i have a pickup truck right. i guess how how blessed <laughs> but, but i understand Best what you're saying pickup like you truck. wish everyone could have it right
1: yeah yeah and i do i really really do right um and of course you know we've talked about some people in in my life or whatever as well i just oh, i just do <laughs> i just i wish the whole world could experience it mm-hmm. what blows me away, yeah. Mike, me too is that you are seemingly the only facility like yours there is right that that is strictly a trauma treatment center or or at least that's doing things the way you um, do them or I mean I've made similar kind of claims well, this, I, I've kind of qualified them with by you know what maybe yeah. touch on that real quick
3: to be honest, like I haven't done enough of the what what pe- what would people call it like the um uh the research what like uh, see i'm not even i'm not even a business guy i can't even get the term right competitor research right um okay i know that there are places like i know of, i know of a place and the ne- now there are trauma centers that exist i don't know that they do it exactly like we do it and i think that we do it the way that we do it just because it's me and i see things in a certain way um you know i think that there are places that have you know a lot more psychiatric care on site um there are places you know what tends to happen we get we get lumped in with addiction treatment centers because that is the one thing like residentially that people kind of are familiar with it's part of sort of you know the the milieu that you know people know about it like people understand nowadays what rehab is and what treatment is so like when people call us and they think about residential treatment we get lumped in with addiction centers the other reason we do is because addiction centers see trauma as a good bolt-on to what they're doing um, sort of like maybe this is cynical but maybe to throw a cast a wider web to get more client base and stuff not saying they're not trying to treat them the best that they can but when trauma is a bolt-on to the addiction center it's not completely trauma focused right and so for me what I I see sort of the addiction stuff as the bolt-on to the trauma it's like how what are your trauma responses Oh, for you, it's using drugs. Okay, well, we can talk about that because, I mean, I've been clean for 20 years. I've worked in addiction services for, you know, 18 years before I opened Yatra. Um, You know, so we can talk about that. But we're really going to go into that, like, you know, addiction is the smoke, trauma is the fire stuff. So I think Um, that we do it a little different, but we're not alone in the world, for sure.
2: And we talked about this before we started recording, but I also, I appreciate that you are not trying to do addictions and trauma, <clears throat> because I really, you know, I think that for people who are in active addiction, the sort of patients who need residential addiction treatment, I don't think that those people are in a stable, stable enough place to do the level of trauma therapy and work that you guys are offering. You know, like I think in a residential addiction treatment center, um, can they do some trauma work? Absolutely. But, you know, knowing a little bit more, Mike, about what you guys are doing. Like, I do think patients, if it's, you know, yes, we always talk about the connection between addiction and trauma. um, But I think people need to get to a stable place in their addiction before Mm -hmm. they're going to get the full benefit out of the kind of work that you guys are doing.
3: Yeah, and like you know? like we said beforehand, it's the shoot the alligator closest to the boat. Like that fentanyl is going to kill you tomorrow. Um, you, you know, when I have said to Chuck earlier, like you know, if you're in a fight or flight situation and your 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 logic centers aren't kind of online, like the CBT is not going to be great. Well, what if you're in like withdrawal or you're massively craving and stuff? We have EMDR protocols that we use for cravings and stuff. So there's stuff that we can do, but we want people to be more stabilized. We've had people relatively new in the recovery process but physically stabilized for sure we don't do detoxes or anything like that we want people to be through that whole part of it um and i think that probably half of our clients identify with some form of addiction and half don't but it's funny because a lot of the ones that don't when you start sort of unpeeling the layers they're like yeah they're not smoking crack they're not shooting heroin you know they're not doing meth whatever um but they got other compulsive, self-soothing mm-hmm. behaviors, which is – that's how I define addiction. I don't I don't like the word addiction very much. I say it's just compulsive, self-soothing behaviors, and whether that comes in a bag or a bottle or uh, a phone or a relationship or whatever – A lot of people Mm -hmm. who don't identify with addiction have the same sort of behaviors. And if they put that energy into cocaine, they would look like a maniac, but because they're putting it into work, they look, you know, they're getting accolades, right? So the same sort of stuff. Yeah. And, and sought out, right. And like Mm -hmm. getting rewarded for it, but it's the same thing. Yeah. 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 And they look really high functioning. And so they would be more stable uh, seemingly to come to our center um, even if they're actively in it right now, so they they can actually be like actively in addiction, per se. Right. Um, yeah. But there's but they're stabilized <laughs> because it's not a substance that is having massive physiological effects on them. Um, you know, it's not messing with their neurotransmitters the same way. It's not messing with. They're not getting withdrawal. They're not going to detox. The, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. So, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, we just want to do what we do and not sort of. Um, it's funny. There's a a place that I know that specializes and their list of specialties is like, I think about 15 things. And I'm like, that's not what a specialty is. Like we do one thing we do trauma. And if the way your trauma shows up, we deal with that. But you know, we just want to do one thing because I think to me it's the, it, it changed how I viewed the world of addiction and it changed how I understood my own history and, and, uh, my experience of the world. So that's the thing that became like my passion and sort of changed my practice. So I'm like, that's what I want to do because much like Chuck, I want other people to get the relief that I got. Yeah. Right.
1: And it's yeah. show. Yeah.
3: And there's um, tons of people doing addiction treatment. So, you know, they yeah. can line them up for us after. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> right. Um, um Okay. Lisa, I'll let you go down one more path. We are almost at the hour mark here, all of a sudden. Hey, um, with that said, mm-hmm. Mike, I want to invite I you know. back on for next week because we're not done having this conversation. And if, if you know, look at your schedule and, and if we can't do that. Um, we talked months ago about doing a, a multi-part series. And we're in the middle yeah. of doing mm-hmm. a multi-part series right oh. now, right? Like I just, there's so much more to talk
2: about, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> you
1: know, and I, I think well, the timing is good yeah. for all sorts well, of reasons. I, think but... I feel like
2: it's... I'm monopolizing Mike. I feel like this is, no, I feel well, I like didn't... I'm having like a personal one-on-one <laughs> session here. <laughs> with Mike. I'll,
1: jump on sorry, I'll, I'll jump on that real quick. i Jump on that real quick. How does that when make we you feel? Canmore,
2: some... <laughs> <laughs> well, one part of me. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. When we were in Canmore, the three of us, I would be happy to and that. I should say Thank you. Okay, so let's make let's make that a date for next weekend. Anybody that's listening, this is merely part one of however many come out of it. When we were in Canmore, the four of us, because of course Chew is there as well, Mike's wife. I sat there, and I think I said about as much as I have through this episode, because I was in awe. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna I'm gonna gonna stroke some egos here, folks. To sit in a room with the two of you, to sit in an episode with the two of you, and just listen. Is amazing to me, right? Here's me, oh. fourteen months ago, homeless, grade nine education, this like, and I'm sitting in a room with two of the most brilliant, caring, loving people I've ever met, right? And it's to me, fuck, why would I say anything? I, I've got a lot of listening to do. Oh. Right? It's like I've got a lot, right? And I'm just like, I can't believe. <laughs> I can't believe how lucky I am to be able to to facilitate this conversation and to be a part of it. Right, you know. So,
0: I appreciate Uh, that. A
3: a part of me loves hearing that, and a part of me (laughs) really hates hates compliments, hates any of that. Like the imposter syndrome comes in. That's really just to illustrate the hard stuff. For sure. One of my super superpowers is awkward throat, moments,
1: but... so I just did that to
0: you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you. also, Thank like
2: what the other thing I thought as you were talking, though, Chuck, is you did this. Mm,
0: yep.
2: You did this. Fuck you you yeah. created okay. this. Okay.
3: You just did it back. Now, you're, you're the
2: sure. reason that we're sitting here, <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: right? Yeah. How awkward yeah. do you <laughs> <laughs> feel? <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really
3: awkward. Flip that now. back on you. That was one of. <laughs> yeah. That was one of Lisa's moments where she went, "Hold on, hold on, wait." Let's take that back yeah. a minute. What did you just say? <laughs> <Exactly>.
2: um, Rewind. <laughs>
3: right? No, it's true. Yeah. you created this. And we, we would have never been acquainted had this not happened. And if I didn't know uh, Ryan and, you know, if you didn't have a history with Ryan, like it all just kind of – but you, yeah. you're the catalyst for this. You made it happen. Um, and yeah. I enjoy the conversations. You know, I, I, I love talking and I like listening to Lisa because I, I know I have – I'm not done learning. You know what I mean? Like there's so much stuff to learn and and we have different sort of, um, backgrounds. Like I'm not a medical doctor and I I don't have that same training. So, you know, I I could sit and listen all day too. And I would love to, you know, obviously we, we can't talk too much about confidential stuff, but I'd love to like be a fly on the wall for like a day at your work and just be like, okay, so this is what it's like day by day. (laughs) Um, It's funny, like, you don't get access to other people's lives that much like that and, and, you know, to sort of see a different perspective. So, yeah, I could have these conversations Mm -hmm. all the time. Right. Yeah. Right. Same. I I was
2: actually going to say, Chuck, like, you know how Ryan bounces? I feel like this is my bouncing episode. Like, (laughs) I don't bounce like Ryan does when I get excited. But I was going to say to you, even though I'm not bouncing, I'm bouncing.
3: That this was, is what
2: gets so, me bouncing. <laughs> what you would have
1: missed, Mike, from from um because it's the episode that we actually that we were telling you to go back and listen to with Ryan. I called him out on this kind of thing that he does. Because when he gets excited, he'll start doing this. So you have to actually watch it, not listen to that yeah, one. To like, yeah, he, he like he'll start bouncing eh, when he's getting he, passionate about something, and he really did in this last <laughs> episode. I just, I, I love it. I love seeing it happen. It yeah. just makes my heart happy, right? Because you know something good's about to come out of his mouth when he, when he starts that day, right? So yeah, I just kind of called about yeah, it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So for anybody that's listening yeah. now, go back and check out Kaleidoscope Wednesday, guys. It was a fantastic episode. And, um, that's a, it's the first of our new formats where we're pulling in other people and kind of unpacking their, their recoveries and how things have gone for them. It was, uh, yeah, it was definitely, definitely a a different experience and I'm looking forward to doing a lot more of those. Um, actually this next week we have Jamie tall coming on, who is a giant in the content recovery world. She's going to be coming on, on uh, kaleidoscope Wednesday to unpack some stuff with Ryan and I, um, well with Ryan, while I sit there and try and dumb it down and, uh, listen a bit. Um, hey, listen, that brings us to my favorite part of the show, and that is the Daily Gratitudes. Today's Daily Gratitudes are brought to you by Revolution Recovery, helping men recover and become their best selves through support and treatment.
4: They've been there and they understand.
3: Let's uh, start with you, Mike. What's your daily gratitude? Um, I was actually struck by it. Uh, first, I'd like to say I'm, I'm really grateful for this conversation. I am grateful that you're doing this i'm grateful um i'm grateful that your treatment episode went to your liking because you know there's that's always a good thing um but you know that that you're you're embracing life and you're taking on life here in thailand which is very cool to see um just for the record to, for all listeners we don't advocate that people uproot and come and move to Thailand just because we're here. It just happened to kind of, I don't know if I that advocate way. that people
1: um, just uproot and move to Thailand anymore. Let me tell you, it's been a challenge, yeah. but it, oh, no, in a great way, in a great yeah. way. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Um, but other than that immediate thing that we're doing right now, um, the, earlier today, I was grateful for, um, you know, uh, my family of people in my life, um, Particularly, my wife, I was really struck by. And I've got a bunch of staff members right now that are really stepping up as we transition from Phuket to Krabi. And um, we're doing renovations and construction, and they're just like selflessly sort of throwing themselves into work that isn't really their job description in order to help sort of the greater purpose of what we're doing. And it's like, I'm just, I like, I'm floored by it. People moved from Phuket to Krabi with us, um, which is insane to me. And so, like, I'm just floored by the support that we have. And so sometimes it just hits me out of the blue where I'm like, oh, my God, this is, like, huge. And so that's, that's the stuff I've been grateful for, is just the relationships of, and support I've had.
1: It, and that is quite the family over there, the Yatra family. I know I was uh, blessed to be there. For, you know, yeah. um, Lisa, what you got for some gratitudes?
2: I'm grateful for this conversation, um, always. I love talking to you, Mike. Um, Always love talking to you too, Chuck. Um, I just don't get to talk to Mike as often, but yeah, super grateful for this. Um, Something that we had talked about discussing today, didn't get to it, which is totally fine. Um, We'll talk about it another day. But, um, you know, I had a a girl who I will keep anonymous reach out to me um, asking if I could try to. I'm grateful that... There are people in the world who see me as somebody they can call. Um, and you know and because I'm fortunate to know people and to work in the the field that I work in, I'm also grateful that I'm able to reach out to people who who can step up and try to provide help. Um, so this week particularly, just really seeing all the privilege, that I have in being someone that people open up to people share to share with share to, um, and also the privilege that I have of being able to, to call up people and, and extend that ask for help and, and get responses. Um, okay. yeah. Um,
1: it is, Yeah, I want to talk what?
3: about all that stuff too.
1: <laughs> it's, uh, there's a lot of stuff to talk about, Next right? Week. So I, I, I certainly, <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah we and hey listen for anybody that's like yeah. listening and doesn't understand the situation it is 1 in the morning here in thailand mike's gonna go to bed now or shortly after i'm going to sit up and deal with this episode and make sure it gets out to your ears and your eyes as soon as i can so she can be a little bit of a long stretch for me that's why we got to cut the episode <laughs> at the hour mark because i got a lot of work to do right
3: um but I look forward it's, to talking about it next week because it's important stuff. Mm-hmm. I think it really is. Truly, truly and, is. And,
1: right. Um, and, and so for myself, I'm obviously grateful for another wonderful conversation. Um, both of you for, for donating your time. Um, and, and something that I, I rarely touch on is, is my sponsors is, is you Mike TWC who I, I reached out to on behalf of a friend, got an immediate response that's together. We can, uh, they are, our. PSA sponsor in today's episode. Uh, Together we can out of Vancouver. I reached out on behalf of a friend. Immediately got a response back, um, looking like trying to help out and seeing what they could do. Um, they may or may not part of Lisa's experience most recently here as well. And I, I'm like, I'm really grateful that that this, this this recovery community who steps up, right? And 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 what's the thing about this recovery community is. It's not just the people that Ash is Awesome are connected to. It's all these other content creators and podcasts and literally around the world, wherever you are, if I don't know somebody, I know somebody who knows somebody and we're going to find those resources. Right. I recently had somebody reach out from Ireland. Crazy. Right. Ireland, South Africa. I mean, we've been all, I know some that,
3: people right? in Ireland.
1: Do you? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, of course you do. <laughs> Why would I think any different? Right. Um, I'm very grateful for all of those things. And and I'm just as, if not more, grateful to every single person who continues to watch, listen, support, like, comment, share, subscribe, do all the things down at the bottom. Every time you do any one of these things, you're getting me a little bit closer to living my best life. My best life is to make a humble living, spreading the message. The message is this. If you're in active addiction right now, today could be the day. Today could be the day that you start a lifelong journey reach out to a friend, reach out to a family member, call into detox, go to a meeting, I don't really care, do whatever it is got to do to get that journey started, because it is so much better than the alternative. And if you have a loved one who's suffering an addiction right now, just taking the time to listen to our conversation. If you just take one more minute out of your day and text that person, let them know their love. Use the words. You are are loved. That little glimmer of hope just might be the thing. Well done.